Hey everyone, it's Marielle. And before we get to the show, I want to warn you. What you are about to hear contains explicit language, adult themes, and may not be suitable for all listeners. Discretion is strongly advised. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the Women of Death Row podcast. Let me say that again, because I was like, Win in him. <laughs> Real Midwest. Hey, it's Mario. Hello, it's Amanda. This is the Women of Death Row podcast. How's it going? Thanks for tuning in. Do we have any callers? <laughs> <laughs> Line one. What's your question? <laughs> Caller number nine. No, I will not make out with you. <laughs> Go on with the chlorophyll. <laughs> All right, I have a long story. Shall we Rochambeau? Sure. Oh! Wait, who wins? Does that go first? Is it two out of three? It's two out of three. We gotta do one more time. So you got one. No, it's whoever wins. Oh, okay. So who won? Was that me? You. Oh, okay. (laughs) We're not very good at that. (laughs) You'd think after 20-something years of playing that game and countless generations before you playing that game, you'd eventually figure out... The rules are always questioned. It's, you got a question every Plus time. two out of three. And some people Plus do it differently. Some people throw on two. Some people throw on three. I go one, two, shoot. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. One, See, two, shoot. See, that's what fucks me up. Is when someone goes rock, paper, scissors, shoot. I'm like, rock, paper, scissors. I don't know rock, now. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Now I don't fucking know or what pe- I do. <laughs> Spidey. <laughs> so this story had a lot of controversy about it surrounding Ooh. just who it was and how sh- something okay let me just should i just tell like you a famous person no this is carla faye tucker dude we're doing the same fucking one again are you serious look at my fucking screen oh my god are you fucking <laughs> kidding me are you fucking kidding no! me no look at mine how do we keep doing this god damn it <laughs> so what do we do do we just tag team it i guess or, like, I can start, and then you, like, I'll read some, and then if you feel like you have something to add, <clears throat> Well, why you don't you some. tell what happened, and I'll talk, like, her backstory, like, her growing up. Okay. Yeah, because I actually have a really good description of the night. Sweet. God damn it. <laughs> this is so funny. How about you start with the backstory, and then, because I have a fuck ton of info from um, an article written by uh, Joseph Geringer. And okay. he really went into it. So you start with her background. I'll add if there's anything. This is fucking hilarious. God damn it. I can't fucking believe this shit. Any story that George Bush is involved, though? <laughs> God. Okay. So I just lit. I <laughs> I can't. Ah! All right. All right. Let's do this. So I'll just tell you where I read from. Wikipedia, Murderpedia, Wicked We, The Dark Side of Everything blog. Oh, yeah. And then I read the transcript of the CNN interview with Larry King. King. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I didn't do that one. So I think we're, we have totally different sources, at least. Yep. And then what else? Then I think that's it. Oh, God damn it. And then I watched the trailer for the movie Forevermore. Oh. So because there was a movie about it. And so the movie description is based on a true story that rocked the world, an emotional journey that takes a former drug-crazed prostitute, convicted pickaxe killer from the depths of despair to personal triumph on Texas death row. So 
part about her being a quote unquote drug crazed prostitute, it goes really back to when she was like a kid. Yeah. Because her mom, let's see, she was the youngest of three. Her parents' marriage was basically just like a disaster. Yeah. She started smoking cigarettes when she was eight. Her parents divorced when she was 10. Mm -hmm. And it was that time that she learned that she was a love child. Like, she was born out of a result of extramarital affair. So her mom... Wasn't her... Her dad wasn't her dad. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. So she started doing drugs and having sex by age 12. She dropped out of high school at age 14. Her mom was a rock groupie. Yeah. And was a sex worker. And she was traveling with the Allman Brothers, Mm. Marshall Tucker Band, and the Eagles. Yeah. And so... This child was probably being... Yeah. Passed around 12. by her mom to these fucking grown-ass... Yep. So it was just her and her mom. I didn't find anything about her dad and her other siblings, but at that time, what time... What year was that again? Well, I saw that her dad was, like, more strict, and so, like, he originally got custody... And under her father's custody, Carla Fay was expected to walk the straight and narrow, but he was rarely home to supervise because he worked two shifts. He was gone late in the evening. His daughters took full advantage of that. So then she dropped out of school in seventh grade. Yeah. Parents didn't really. And then that's when she went to her mom's care. And here's this one. Instead of lecturing the adolescent as her dad would have done, Mrs. Tucker scolded her on her inability to pack a smooth joint, then instructed her on the fine art of rolling. Wow. Mama Tiger was not June Cleaver. <laughs> Parenting 101. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she started dating this guy when she was 16. Stephen. Yeah, Stephen Griffith. And then when she was in her 20s, she started hanging around bikers, and that's where she met Sean Dean, Sean's husband, Jerry Dean. So Sean and Jerry <laughs> introduced uh, Carla to... Danny. D- yep, Danny. So Carla, who was 23 at the time, was started dating Danny, who was, like, between 35 and 38. So, with someone who started doing drugs at age 12, like, just imagine she's... A mess. A mess. A mess. So, then... That's about all I have about her early life. So, and it was, you know, after she met Danny, Danny was, like, encouraging of, like, this bad lifestyle was... Her being a sex worker. Her being a sex worker. You know, it was, like on his terms and he promoted violence and things like that too and, and drug use and and like provided her fucking pills and mm-hmm. shit so do you want me to talk about the night yeah the crime okay so carla Faye was really cute too she you was look at her so picture cute. she looks like she was a doll mm-hmm. so petite curly haired 23 <clears throat> year old carla Faye tucker when not glassy eyed under the effects of the multitude of drugs she tended to swallow and one sitting. Mev looked like some proud mother's honor student. She was a fresh-faced Texan. However, by the time June 13th, 1983 rolled around, she'd lived a hard life, and it was enough to just erase any schoolgirl wispiness from the core of her eyes, because, you know, she had those big brown Mm -hmm. eyes. Well, at age... 12 you're going around with your mom a groupies in a rock bait with rock bands it's like you're not a kid anymore no you're not a kid anymore you're like living this life this fast hard life before you're a teenager your poor brain yeah so it's like how could she i don't know yeah so joseph garinger put it 
really well in his article. Innocence hadn't slowly evaporated in Carla Fay's case. It had been devoured painfully, masticated by a world that chewed her up halfway before she learned to bite back. She would later describe herself during that time in her life as being mixed up, peer pressured, radical. Her life had been a succession of last minute decisions without fear of consequence. All bad. All rotten. If one were to watch her face as the sun went down that June 1983, Mm -hmm. they would have seen the expression of someone who was, as she were to tell Larry King, crazy, violent. A party had been enforced for three days in the small brick house in Houston, Texas. There, Carla Fay lived with 37-year-old Daniel Garrett, described in his world as a pill doctor. Inspiration for the weekend bash was the birthday of Carrie Ann, Carla's older sister, and as it steamed on, it had developed into something more than the high everyone had hoped. Inhibitions disappeared, as well as clothing. Carrie had wanted a sex orgy, and her celebrants were eager to give her one. Garrett and the partiers in mass were like Carla Fay, whose existence had culminated in a no-life of drugs and booze. Both factors were predominant at the bash. Beer, whiskey, and tequila provided the means to wash down the, quote, dessert tray of Placidil's, Dilaudid's, Valium, Mandrex, and more. Holy fuck. That's a lot to handle. Like, that's a lot of drugs. Yeah. It's a lot of substances. Uh, so, I also got a lot from this 1998 interview from Lifeway Church Magazine. On top of all this, I had been doing a considerable amount of coke and bathtub speed. I think bathtub is homemade because, you know, like bathtub mm-hmm. gin. So I'm assuming that's what bathtub speed is. Yikes. Oh so like fucking Drano and shit. Oh my God. Who knows? Carla Fay attest- Oh yeah, that, that fucking thing. That article in the magazine. I didn't usually do speed much. Heroin and downers were my preference because I'm a very hyper person and doing speed always skitzed me out and made me go crazy. That night we were cooking speed and we started shooting it because it was there and I loved the needle in my arm. What one would call a needle freak. Ooh, oh, yeah. I didn't read those parts. Mm-hmm. I didn't see those. Man. Yeah. Sorry. Much of the talk at the party centered around the recent marital breakup of mutual friends Sean and Jerry and Daniel. Dismal Sean attended the party, beaten with a busted nose and lip. She had left her biker husband a week earlier after he had physically abused her for what would turn out to be the last time. Because Sean was Carla Faye's best friend, the latter stewed throughout the evening, threatening to drive to Jerry's apartment to beat him up. I saw what he'd done to Sean, and I was really mad. I was really protective of her, she told Lifeway Magazine. I thought, yeah, I'll get even with him. My idea of getting even with him meant confronting him, standing toe-to-toe, fist-to-fist, like she loved fighting. She was going to fuck him up. As the party progressed, the bitter feelings raged. The pills added to the animosity and the excitement of the very night itself seemed to heat up Carla Faye's anger. While most of the people at the party were enjoying the haze of their own smoky brain and the absolute nakedness of whomever whomever happened to be beside them on the floor, Carla Faye, Danny, Sean, and another friend, Jimmy Labrant, retreated to a corner in the kitchenette to slur their vehemence over wife-beater Dean. Their intention was revenge, but at that point, the kitchen table dialogue just spoke in generalities in terms of kicking ass and doing something to the bastard that he'd never forget. Eventually, Sister Carrie... And her friend Ronnie joined the conversation, and the threats melted into sardonic laughter, eventually fading into idle tough talk that dissipated as the last of the capsules were downed, and the final inhalations of the final joints were savored. Danny had to leave the party mid-evening. 
to go to work. He was a bartender at a local gin mill, spent the last couple of hours sobering enough to perform his job half-heartedly, half-consciously. Carla Fay drove him the few blocks, promising to pick him up at 2 a.m. when the tavern closed. So they've done all this. It's not even 2 in the morning. Jesus. God. I guess it's been three days. When the couple left the house, they bid goodbye to the few who sauntered out with them for home. Giggling at the last weekend and stepped over the remaining half-nude bodies passed out on the floor. There was no need to awaken them. God. Right. So after dropping off Danny, she returned to find Don more down than before. She'd sunken into a reverie of love and hate for her husband. A bottle of tequila skew on her lap. She whimpered to Ronnie and anyone else caring to listen that she wanted him taken care of and that she still adored him. And then she fell asleep. So Carrie soon announced that she needed to go out and make some money as a sex worker, knew the corner in the part of town where she could, you know, make easy money. And then waiting for Danny to finish work, Carla and that dude, what was his name, Liebrandt? I forgot his first oh, name. Wasn't it? And Jerry Lynn were, again, talking about, I'm sorry, Carla and that dude were talking again about fucking Dean. Carla Faye's dislike for Dean stretched back several months when she first moved here to the Key Point District in Houston. She knew that Sean had married the man on a fling, and the first time she brought him over turned out to be the first time she hated him. Arriving home after being gone all day, she found that Dean had the nerve to roll his Harley Davidson inside her home for safety's sake. She was fucking pissed. It's got a dripping oil pan. It's leaning against her television. It's emanating fucking fumes. fumes. So despite Sean being her friend, she was like, y'all are going to get the fuck out. Words passed between the biker and Carla Faye and then simmered for the presence of Sean. Mm -hmm. So like, whatever. We both love Sean. Since that time, the few instances Carla Faye and Dean met by chance brought locked horns. It was a personality clash. She just simply disliked him. And she admitted... They fought to fight. One time he was sitting in his car outside and I punched him in the eye just for being there. Oh the, yeah. The gr- relationship irreparable. Sean continu- continuing seeing her girlfriend against her husband's wishes, which added to the feud. Dean used every chance he could to deride Carla Faye to his wife. Sean, who never kept secrets, confessed to the other that hubby'd come across a picture she owned of Carla Faye and her mother that seemed he took great pleasure in stabbing with a butcher knife. Oh, God. Yeah. So, okay, this is that guy's name, Jimmy. So, like, before 2 a.m., Jimmy and Carla go to get Danny at work. Uh, it was humid outside, so pretty hot. You know, they're coming down, whatever. But they were joking around because by moonlight, their town looked more dingy than ever. And oh it was, God. like, relatable to their positions in life. They Neither was in a jocular mood. They were wired. Getting into her bomb of a car, they said. <laughs> it must have been fucking dirty. Carla expressed her desire to strip and dive into the water-filled quarry across the street to <gasps> flail, to kick, to bust out, to move. Jimmy, too, said he wanted to leap from his skin. Jimmy's bones remained in his hide and Carla Faye remained in her jeans. Instead, she drummed the motor and pointed its trembling hood ornament in the direction of the bar where they knew Danny was just locking up. And then Danny had an idea. He got in the passenger seat and he said, I've been giving the situation some thought. I say we go tonight now. Steal that son of a bitch, Jerry Dean's mm-hmm. bike. And the other two were like, oh, yeah, fuck yeah. There's no greater insult to a biker than taking his machine. His bike. So they create a plan. They would go tonight. While the idea was fresh, and, I mean... Their adrenaline's they, gone, yeah, and they're ready, they, had pent up they don't vengeance. have time to think about it, they're yeah. just gonna do it. 
So Carla Faye knew Dean's apartment well on the ground floor of one of those cheap dumps down the road. It looked more like a transient hotel than an apartment building. Yikes. Yeah. It was the kind of neighborhood, like, key point where cops preferred not to cruise unless they really had to. It would be easy to break into. Dean would probably be fast asleep, and he was known to smoke, get high before bed, so he'd probably be fast asleep, Mm -hmm. deep sleep. So back at their place, she found Sean awake again. She concurred that her husband would be counting Z's, and when hearing the details of their raid, wished that would be Robert's good luck. It would teach the bastard a lesson, she said. Danny, Jimmy, and Carla changed into all black. Um, On their way out the door, Danny told Jimmy to grab a shotgun. He kept hidden under the sofa. And then Danny took a thirty-eight from the glove compartment and put it in his boots. Carla said that those were meant for protection because of the area they were going not to no. use against someone. She continued, like, we didn't have any intention to kill him at the time. So they pull up to Dean's front door. The It was kind of lit. And she said, we might not even take the damn thing tonight if there are any people roaming around inside the halls or something. But we have to case the joint first. At least we'll get a fairly good look to see how easy the bike will be to steal. Uh, Deanie ordered Jimmy to remain outside to keep an eye out for cops. And he and Carla would attempt to snap the front door lock. Well, I read, didn't, she stole the keys from Sean, I'm pretty sure. At least that's where I read that. You know, that would make sense, but I have that Danny just wiggled the doorknob and, like, just fucking, like, open. pushed it open. Yeah. Which is how I broke <laughs> Because how I understood was, like, they had talked about this before, and then one day, like, you know, like you just said, finally decided to do it. Like, in those, like, a couple weeks or whatever it was, she stole the keys. Oh, huh. I don't know. Well, see, there's... That's why it's cool and we both do the same one. Because <laughs> um, if she stole the keys, then that just is like, yeah, they were definitely planning something. Maybe the keys to the... No, she wouldn't have had his keys to the motorcycle. It was the keys to the apartment. Yeah. So they edged in, nudged the door, closed it behind him. So they didn't have to, like, break in. No. So the door wedged against the jam, and having tilted under Danny's stress, in the dark, they knew they hit gold. They could detect the rancid odor of gasoline mixed with the stale odor of leather and cold metal. The smell meant motorcycle. (laughs) (laughs) Yet they waited before proceeding further into the room. From the hint of a foyer, they held their breath to listen. No sound. Hmm. There was no movement. Da-da-da. So they were good to go to steal the spike. mm -hmm. So Danny pulled out a flashlight and points it. The fucking handlebars are glistening. (laughs) <laughs> Even in, like, the little light, they could tell it was super polished. Like, this guy was making love to his bike. That's why it's in his mm-hmm. fucking living room. So it was partially disassembled. One wheel and other parts were strewn on a dirty tarpaulin, stretched across the floor. But Carla was like, you know what? We'll just take, like, some of the pieces and, you know, whatever. Because <laughs> it'd be impossible to steal it in whole, but... Right, if you couldn't just wheel it out They'd fuck there. up his renovation job. So her thoughts had barely manifested when a square of light pierced the blackness from a doorway beside them. Carla Faye gasped. It was... Gasped? <gasps> gasped. Gasped. It was Dean's bedroom, and he had flicked on the light. Staring, waiting for his Hulk to for his Hulk figure to fill the doorway, the intruders saw the foot end of a bed protruding the view and could hear the squeak of its mattress. Who the hell is out there? Dean's oh. all-too-familiar growl. Carla felt herself waver, one foot aimed for the front door and the other toes dug in defiantly for a fight. Her hands clenched into fists, 
And while she froze in confusion, Danny had already reacted. He grabbed a hammer. Yes. He started racing to the bedroom. And Carla Faye just instinctively followed. And from the doorway of the room, she watched Danny's weapon strike the figure of Dean, who had half risen from the covers. The blow which had struck his head jolted him backwards. Blood crept from each nostril, then from the corners of his mouth. And not hesitating, Danny dealt a series of more whacks to the head that sent a thudding, almost dull echo throughout the room. Carla found the violence thrilling. Her thighs Mm -hmm. tingled. The sight she saw was evil. It was wicked and totally, sinfully, brutally magnetic. She wanted to partake of the sacrifice and roll in the wantingness, to rip free her emotions that screamed to be unchained. Danny's bludgeons continued. He seemed to be releasing his own frustrations. There was no role for her in this ritual until she saw the girl almost buried under the covers beside the other side of the bed where she had slipped and was now attempting to hide herself. Sean's whelp still black and blue and already he's got a tramp in bed. Damn bitch, I'll kill her. Wow. Yeah. Reaching back into the living room, Carla Faye grabbed the first murderous thing she saw. The pickaxe. Yep. Three feet long and easy to grip. Effortlessly, she lifted it and returned to the chamber, already smelling of blood. Danny, his senses satiated for the moment, paused to watch his girl. Followed her curious movements as she circled the bed and raised the axe overhead. Now, for the first time, it was his turn to watch her as she swooped the pick in an arc, tearing the blade through the torso of the cowering female. Let her have it, he cheered. Seeing that Dean's skull was thoroughly flattened, Danny stood as a spectator to Carla Faye's grand performance. The girl, whom would later be identified as Deborah Thornton, screamed only once and began to gurgle. The gurgling annoyed Carla Faye, so she gave it to her again and again in the chest, legs, stomach, and shoulders. The more the body seemed to quiver, the more Carla Faye struck to stop its trembling. As the carcass turned to mush, blood splattered upward and across the room onto the murderess. Yuck! She mimicked, but delighted in the sensation. Danny threw a blanket over her head, daring her to hit the target blindfolded. Like a pinata, he oh rooted. My God. And the killing became a game. Under the darkness of the color cover, Harlefay's senses became more acute. She could hear the whoosh of the axe as it fell. She could hear the squish <sighs> of the bit blade penetrating soft, wet flesh. Ecstasy. Although she denied it later, she would tell friends that the excitement generated a triple orgasm, the likes of which she'd never experienced. Carla Faye Tucker had busted loose. Holy shit. When she'd finished with Deborah Thornton, empowered by the deviancy, she finished off Dean with another 20 blows. And before they left the scene of the crime, Danny left the pickaxe impaled in Deborah Mm -hmm. Thornton's heart. The next day was like any other for the murderers. They remembered very little, and what happened was just a casual, small fucking affair. A bastard and a bitch gone to hell. So Dean's landlord discovered their bodies. Police were called. They started an investigation. God. Well, poor woman. I mean, the landlord. Oh, yeah. Like. Having yeah. to see that too, like I know everybody involved. Like yeah, Jesus fuck, they didn't deserve that. No, it didn't take officers long to connect the bodies to the killers because they knew who they'd associated with, and mm-hmm. everyone at the party heard Carla and Danny and bragging about it. Yeah, so they said her it, like took like a month or something. In yeah, the 
So Carrie, her sister, talked. Her friend Sean talked. Mm-hmm. Jimmy, who was arrested, talked. He hadn't been involved, he said, but waited outside for what was supposed to be a burglary. He actually would eventually turn state's evidence to walk free. Yeah. Damn. Yeah, I know. That's fucking ri- just crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, brutal. Like, I wasn't expecting that. Mm-hmm. At all. I didn't go that deep into mine. I got, right. That's why I said the part about the actual thing is mm-hmm. short, mm-hmm. because it was just so, like, God. Yeah. It's like they turned into, like, they turned primal. Yeah. Yeah. And him to throw a blanket and be like, like a pinata. What the fuck? What possesses someone to do that? Well, so they were both tried, they were b- indicted separately and charged. Oh, wow. So they weren't co-defendants. No. So Danny's brother wore a wire for the police. Did you read about that? Oh, shit. Yep. So Danny's brother wore a wire for the police and went over to talk to Danny and Carla. And so they he asked them the whole story. They told him all the information. They got it on. They've recorded it. <gasps> and so then once all that happened, Danny's brother left and then the police barged in. Oh, my God. So they got them recorded talking about that they did it. So they were charged separately. Carla pled not guilty, and she waited trial in jail. So in jail, they were having, like, you know, Bible groups and ministry Uh, stuff. (laughs) Carla Faye finds Jesus. Mm -hmm. She starts reading this Bible. She was like, I didn't know what I was reading. And then before I knew it, I'm on my knees praying to God. Well, she must have been praying hard because she ends up marrying the minister. Linda Strom. Was it Linda Strom? The evangelist. The minister in prison. I thought the name was Dana. Oh, that's right. Dana Lane Brown. Yeah, Dana Brown. Mm -hmm. So she became a Christian, married the minister in 1983. Then between 1984 and 1992, she requests for a new trial, denied. She files appeal after appeal, all denied. She requested that her life be spared based on the fact that she was on drugs and that she wouldn't have done it if she hadn't taken the drugs. And that she was a quote-unquote reformed person, born-again Christian. Like, she is, I don't know, she's begging for her life, basically. Which gained a lot of support globally, and a lot of conservative American leaders and evangelists (laughs) were like, Save this Christian woman, blah, blah, blah. Indian Greengrich. Yes. Evangelist Pat Robinson. Uh-huh. Robertson, I'm sorry. And uh, then I also read the Pope John Paul II. What the fuck? I read that somewhere. Let me I just see. I must have missed that one. I know there was a nun, Sister Helen Prejean. Yeah, so here it says Pope John Paul II, the Italian Prime Minister, Newt Greengitch and Pat Robertson. Yeah, Robertson. Why was that so hard to t- say? Yeah, Pat Robertson tried for five years to get her off death row. That's a lot of effort. Five years. Even the warden of the Huntsville prison in Texas said that after 14 years, she was like this model prisoner and had completely reformed. Yeah. And at this time, how old is she? She was 23 when it happened. I think she's like 27. She's not very old. <laughs> so, Yeah. But the board turned down her appeals on January 28th, 1998, and her death sentence remained. So they're like, You're, <laughs> we're not changing anything. So hours before her execution, I don't know how much more did you want to go into it, but... Yeah, I've got a pretty good amount of detail as far as, like, the George Bush thing. Okay. And I've got her actual, like, letter. I just love that she married the minister in prison. <laughs> yeah. 
Right? So, underscoring the message of the petition that she's now a God-fearing human being and a model prisoner, Carla Fay wrote a letter addressed directly to the Texas Board of Pardons and Paroles and Governor George Bush. Both parties had control because the moratorium thing. Mm -hmm. He was just the governor of Texas at the time. Although Bush would lack the power of clemency without the majority information of the board, he still had that, whatever. So here's some excerpts from her letter. He could have filed an 11th hour appeal is what it's called, right? Yeah. I am in no way attempting to minimize the brutality of my crime. It was obviously very, very horrible. And I do take full responsibility for what happened. I also know that justice and law demand my life for the two innocent lives I brutally murdered that night. If my execution is the only thing, the final act that can fulfill the demand for restitution for justice, then I accept that. I will pay the price for what I did in any way our law demands it. It was three months after I had been locked up when a ministry came to the jail and I went to the services. That night, accepting Jesus into my heart. When I did this, the full and overwhelming weight and reality of what I had done hit me. I began crying that night for the first time in many years, and to this day, tears are a part of, tears are a part of my life. Fourteen years ago, I was part of the problem. Now I am part of the solution. I have proposed, proposed to do right for the last 14 years, not because I am in prison, but because my God demands this of me. I know right from wrong, and I must do right. I don't really understand the guidelines for commutation of death sentences, but I can promise you this. If you commute my sentence to life, I will continue for the rest of my life in this earth to reach out to others to make a positive difference in their lives. I see people in here in prison where I am who are here for horrible crimes. I can reach out to those girls and try to help change them before they walk out of this place and hurt someone else. I am seeking you to commute my sentence and allow me to pay society back by helping others. I can't bring back the lives I took, but I can, if I am allowed, help save lives. Help save lives. Help. (laughs) (laughs) That is the only restitution I can give. The parole board was unmoved. Nope. Governor Bush, unmoved. nope. He refused. Yep. On January 28th, 1998, the appellate court denied clemency for Carla Faye Tucker. Her execution was scheduled for the coming week on February 3rd. Yep. Where? So late afternoon, February 3rd, 1998, Governor George W. Bush closed the door on the last breath of hope for Carla Faye. He denied a 30-day delay of the execution set for her later that evening. A press release issued from the governor's mansion stated, Many people have contacted my office about this execution. I respect their strong convictions, but Carla Faye Tucker has acknowledged she is guilty of a horrible crime. She was convicted and sentenced by a jury of her peers. The role of the state is to enforce our laws. The courts, including the United States Supreme Court, have reviewed the legal issues in this case, and therefore I will not grant a 30-day stay. May God bless Carla Faye Tucker, and may God bless her victims and their families. Carla Faye Tucker died an hour later. Mm-hmm. In preparation for her death, while the reprieve from the governor was still pending, officials removed her from Mountain View and delivered her by plane to Huntsville State Prison, where the state's execution chamber is located. Chatting briefly with reporters, CNS US News said that she was upbeat, dining on a last meal comprised of a banana, a peach, and a salad. With ranch. <sighs> Gross. Ew. With her were her husband, Dana Brown. I thought Dana was a woman. This whole time, that was so much more exciting. (laughs) Damn it! No, her husband. Damn it! I must have seen a picture of her and Linda together smiling, because I was like, oh, that's her wife. Damn it. 
<laughs> I guess that makes sense. Same-sex marriage was definitely not legal then. No. <laughs> also, there were Deborah, yeah. um, her husband. Yeah, so... And her daughter and Step's child. Yeah, right? Ron Carlson, who was Deborah Thornton's brother and dressed in the white uniform of Mountain View... Carla Faye declined donning the orange work suits usually worn by condemned prisoners in Huntsville, so she's wearing all white. Because she found Jesus. Mm-hmm. Relaying her to her death would be a lethal injection, a blend of quick-acting barbiturate and paralytic drug. Intravenously. I mean, she did love needles. She did. God. Ugh, horrible joke. <laughs> Texas adopted this form of capital punishment in 1977. It's one of 27 states employing it, which since then now mm-hmm. they do something different because apparently that was very painful yes. and they were, had no idea because people were paralyzed and couldn't scream. <gasps> Could you imagine? That's my greatest fear. <sighs> so other states utilize electric voltage, gas, rope, or firing squad as life-taking means. That's insane. <laughs> imagine someone getting murdered by a firing squad that's fucking nazi shit oh yeah what the fuck i mean all of it is all of it is like the fact that we're putting someone to death in any way i started listening to this podcast and it's called have you seen this man yes larry eubanks so they describe the gas chamber like wait is it that no i I something i read no because I was... I'm thinking of something totally different. Maybe I was reading. It was something about, like, people would come to see the gas chamber. Like, ladies would even go and sit in it. And, like, electric chairs, too. People would, like, go and, like... It was, like, a tourist thing. I'm like, fuck no. That's, that's fuck morbid no. as fuck. God. So while she was... While the chemicals were being administered, she was apparently, like, praising Jesus, humming smacking her lips like just yeah you'd have to be i bet Ooh, the anxiety mm-hmm. oh my god <sighs> so according to api writer michael grasick <laughs> i didn't ask your opinion so asked her what her thoughts would be when strapped to the death chamber gurney and she said i am certainly going to be thinking about what it's like in heaven mm-hmm Gosh. So they received the news from Bush at 5.25 p.m. She was given solitude to pray and bid goodbye to her intimate company. Before the hour ended, prison personnel and a minister approached her cell to lead her through a whitewashed door at the farthest end of the corridor. Beyond that door was the death chamber. Mm. It is a cubicle of sterile white and bright lights resembling a doctor's examining room with a one-way viewing glass and on two sides for spectators and a stark array of paraphernalia whose purpose is not subtly concealed. Ugh. That evening, while her loved ones peered in sorrowfully from one waiting area, opposite them stood members of her victims' families, feeling less pity. Allowed a moment for last words, she sat on the gurney to which, in a few moments, she would be bound with a leather stra- restraining strap. Mm-mm. She had dressed reflective windows, knowing that beyond their glare waited and watched those with tears and those without. I would like to say to all of you, the Thornton family and Jerry Dean's family, that I am so sorry. I hope God will give you peace with this. She then whispered a farewell to her husband and thanked the warden for his kindness to her in the last hours. She said, baby, I love you. Yeah. Oh, I didn't write that down. Mm -hmm. Even as she was uttering her final goodbyes, the attendants were already attaching the tubes to her wrists and buckling her. When she was finished, Miss Tucker closed her eyes, licked her lips, and appeared to say a silent prayer. She coughed twice, groaned softly, and went silent as the drugs took effect. Hmm. Carla Faye busted loose. 
Damn. Yeah. And that was, I think, one of the craziest stories we've told. Oh, my God. This story, it's so violent. And then... And you can find so much about it, too. Yeah. Like, I think that's another thing is we there's so much like imagine, information on the internet about it. Oh, yeah. So many videos. I was reading the transcript from, let's see, the Larry King interview. This interview just took place, like... Six hours before her execution. Oh, shit. So Larry King asked, This program tonight was six hours ago here in the Mountain View Unit, Texas Department of Corrections, about a half hour from Waco, Texas. And then he asked her, asked Carla, does it get worse every day? Carla said, no, it gets a little more exciting every day. Just to see how God is unfolding everything. Every day something comes up and it's exciting to be a part of be a part of it because there's a lot going on and it's going to affect a lot of people and it's a blessing to be part of it It it's exciting to know that god has a plan for this so she wasn't upset she wasn't scared or anything she just it seems like she made peace with what she did and that was what's going to happen because you know she then learned that well this is my fate yeah also forgot to say that uh fucking the other guy danny garrett died in prison like really shortly after being convicted of liver disease so fuck him yeah he died in prison he was sentenced to death too yeah they were both sentenced to death for this so i mean she talks about how horrible it was that she what she's done and like you said she wants to pay back and help other people but texas wanted her dead yeah it's like imagine being there to watch that too like how could you watch that no fucking way especially oh god i can't even imagine Mm -mm. i even like when they show like pictures of just the gurney or just like the thing or like if there is someone being executed they like have a picture or like in a movie or any Mm -hmm. type of injury it sends a fucking chill it's just like it makes my stomach turn like oh my god Mm. It's just awful. It's almost like a fucking like primal thing just to be like, ugh. Like you, another human that. is being killed. And, yeah. you know, you think of people dying and absolutely people who cause the death of another need need some reformative behavioral therapy. Yeah, they should not be with uh, the general population and everyday citizens who they could potentially harm. She was the <laughs> second person to be... Like, on average, it costs taxpayers like four hundred to six hundred thousand mm-hmm. per death row inmate and that's just their trial that doesn't include feeding them daily and there's so many people and in how jail. much the execution costs you know how much it costs to go to an emergency room imagine how oh, much they're fucking I? yes making off that shit. it's fucking like an ambulance ride is like 1200 bucks yeah so i feel like that's uh why states still implement it because they make money off it there's and just no like need we always for say it. the margin of Margin, margin yes. of doubt. Like, there has to be zero reasonable doubt. Zero. Obviously, in this case, there was no reasonable doubt. Right. Like, but. she confessed. There was a tape of them saying it. She had said it multiple times. I mean, you know how many innocent, mostly black men and Latino men and women have, and uh, Native folks, God, have been innocent and sad oh, yeah. to death? Like, what the Oh, fuck? yeah. 100%. So, anyways, <laughs> anything cute to talk about? Oh my gosh, no. I don't have anything going on. Life is... (laughs) Disney Plus, that's cool. I watched Parent Trap last night. We were just talking about Lindsay Lohan and her dance moves. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, Yeah, we should just watch Lindsay Lohan dance. 
and uh, <laughs> God, oh, wash this I fucking case off. It's horrible. Oh man, I plan to just clean the house the rest of the day and hopefully go to bed early. Yeah. I oh, need to I go went to, bed to early. this bar last night called a uh, SOT. And I got this like whiskey based drink and it they present it to you like with smoke. It's like under this thing shit. and you lift it up and all the smokiness was coming out. Mm-hmm. And the glass was like a like a top, like it swiveled. <gasps> and so when sh- the server set it down, my friend was like, oh, my gosh, I thought it was going to fall. But the glass was like swervel, sw- swervel. <laughs> oh, my God. It was so cool. That's what I want. Have you seen? I saw it on Twitter. And I guess there is some liquor that's like purplish pink like fuchsia that's sparkly but if you add citrus to it it like turns blue and like does this like cool like kind of i don't know thing it's really pretty that sounds awesome i want to find that somewhere when we were Um, at the bar this girl we heard a crash and this girl fell backwards (gasps) from her bar (laughs) and then these dudes were with her and then they went and sat down with another party like just casually sat down and then this girl's just at the bar so I don't know if they actually knew her or they were just keeping coming and they were like, okay. <laughs> it was, it was funny. We just kept talking though. Like, oh my God. Oh, so, but it was cool that that bar was fun. Well, all right. I don't have anything. Gotta um, go to Ha, get some Diet Snapple. Oh yeah. It. Remember to subscribe, tell your friends, tell your friends, rate, review, review, like, save, follow us. On We're all gonna, platforms. If we don't have social media yet, Jesus, tell us to fucking get our shit together. But I want on Instagram us to like share pictures of, you know, each oh, yeah. episode so that you guys can see who we're talking about. Provide some context. Yes. All right. Thank well, you. Have a beautiful week. Yes. Enjoy your holidays and take care of yourself. Take care of yourself first. Take care of your friends. Mm hmm. Wear a seatbelt. Don't, don't drink, text and drive. Don't drink and drive. Don't text and drive. <laughs> and I'm done mothering you now. Okay. See you later. Bye. Bye. Bye.